0: Welcome to the fake podcast fashion for Animal Kingdom and Environment. We create inspiring conversation with powerful guests and today we receive Tina Gorjenk. Did I pronounce it good? Gor- Gor-Yank? Goryank?
1: Yeah, I mean it's one of the best pronunciation. Yeah, it's it's okay. the correct pronunciation is Gorjans, but Gorjan oh. is already good.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's try. Tina Gorjank.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Good. <laughs> And uh, she's a designer and researcher and combined those two amazing quality to create a uh, design that will create debate. Is that right?
1: Yeah. yeah, that's
0: <laughs> and, <perfect>. um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about one of uh, your exhibition that I loved. I, I think everybody should talk about this. Uh, there's so many, co- this can open so many conversation. Uh, it's called pure human. Uh, But first of all, I would like you to introduce yourself. So let us know, uh, who are you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you did already a really great introduction. So yeah, as you said, I am really interested in combining design and research. So to understand the how materials are made, to explore materials and see how we can push them forward, and then also like look at materials from the design perspective, right? What can we engineer, as well as what can we design from them? So how can we rechange and remap uh, how we see materiality, what material we use, and how we even connect the materials itself.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, so I check a little bit on your website and your Instagram, I start to check everything and I saw that uh, you do a lot of completely different design, it's not always focused on the same thing, which is great actually, Uh, but what I would like to talk today is your relationship with leather and what brings you to create pure human, so I want people, we're going to talk about human leather, but not in a creepy way, in actually a a way that... um, The the goal is not to create human leather, but to create conversations. So I just want to warn people. But uh, yeah, first of all, what is your relationship with leather?
1: So it's an interesting one. I'm fascinated with leather. It was always one of my main materials that I use throughout, I would say, most of my projects. They Mm. kind of like shift a bit, like sometimes it's other types of animal materials, but I would say the core source is always human animal materials. Mm. Uh, With the leather one, it's a tricky one, I would say, because I'm so in love with leather, but I also do quite like animals in general. And I Mm. know just the awareness of understanding how leather is made and what changes we can do to to kind of like alter how much we actually consume it and what uh, situations we are keeping those animals. It's one of the things that I'm really, really interested in changing as well as in addressing in my projects. So again, I do use leather. I do like leather, but I would advise everyone that does it that actually look into the source, how leather is sourced, and make sure that he or she fully agrees with um, how you actually obtain this leather.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a question I would love to talk to you about, uh, probably later, but uh, because I want to. To, to first start with uh, your project, but uh, how the tanning process uh, can be done you know, in different ways. Because um, I see that you are the one doing the whole uh, process. You are the one doing the tanning process.
1: Yeah, with some of the projects, I actually learned how to tan leather myself, just because I was using obviously an obscure source of leather, which yeah. in that case was pigeon, which is quite, it's not really commonly used and it's really hard to obtain. Hmm. So, therefore, I, I started like learning about the tanning process itself. Obviously, this is a small, um, uh, on a small scale, which is just producing a couple of pieces. Larger tan, like a larger tanning scale will involve slightly different processes, which can be operated, obviously, on a larger scale.
0: Do you mind me asking, are you vegan?
1: Uh, No, I'm not. I was for a really short time, but yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think it's nice as well to see that uh, even though you're not vegan, that's uh, that's one of your main goals. It's to.
1: Yeah, I would say. My, my look into like the meat industry, the dairy industry, and all of those animal-based industries, it's quite similar to leather, actually. Because I see that there is a lot of discrepancy of some people, how they see leather, but then they see meat or dairy completely in contrast to that. And I always tend to think, as they are, they are actually quite related. And Leather, to an extent, is also a byproduct of the meat industry, therefore, you could argue that, that it can be a sustainable source because it's utilizing a resource that is overly produced. Mm. However, obviously, there are the ethical implications of such. So for me, there are the same ethical implications that apply to leather that they actually apply to the meat industry. Again, I would be really cautious in looking how you source it and try to get like a transparent provider if you can. And that will guarantee that you actually agree with how you actually obtain this type of product.
0: Hmm. So actually, the, I have a lot of uh, questions about what you just said, but uh, let's keep those for later in the conversation. First, I want to I want you to tell us more about Pure Human how it started, why, and, and how?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, I remember I was always, so I my background is in fashion design, and I was always quite interesting in animal-based material. Mostly was leather, but then there were also others, so for instance, corn hmm. and material as such. Uh, and I think through my master degree course, which uh, was the material future course, at centers and Martins they open up a whole section of like what design can actually do and achieve and there I started to tapping into designing for debate mm. so with my previous background in leather I was still quite interested in that but I was thinking how can I elevate my skill set and how can I really use fashion as a platform to communicate a really something that I think is a really important case so my other fascination is also researching old medical files, <laughs> where oh. I found out about like exploitation of genetic material. And as there is a lot of research that is currently go- being uh, being pursued by different companies, when we look at like genetic modification, DNA altering, tissue engineering, and so forward, which would benefit the uh, the fashion industry, I started to be quite interested in like the ethics of it, right? Because sometimes, especially as humans, when we innovate, we tend to forget to assess if what we are actually innovating is what we wanna be innovating. Mm -hmm. So therefore I started to research a bit and I saw that there is a lot of examples in the medical domain where the same instance has already happened. So genetic exploitation has already happened there. And I, With the project, essentially, my aim was to showcase how the same case could be done in in the fashion environment and what would it mean. So let's, and yeah, the provocation was, let's start this debate in order to assess what we want to be doing, or if we are already doing it, how we can protect ourselves.
0: Yes, so again, your goal in this exhibition was not to create a product to then resell it. It's designed to debate. And uh, you actually uh, did it with no fear and you uh, choose Alexander McQueen. So how yeah. did you like how was the process of like how you went to to why, why him and how? <laughs> so there is
1: I think there is a couple of really interesting reasons why I chose him. Obviously, the first one is he's one of the greatest name in fashion design, which right. totally applies to the context of the project. Uh, the second one uh, was actually quite practical, which was the sense that it's really hard to obtain uh, ver- uh, verified material from a source thats that doesn't ex- exist anymore, that essentially it's a dead source. Hmm. With him, it was quite interesting because uh, even though it's quite disputed, he used to lock uh, the the his hair, uh, his hair into his early labels. And he also quite publicly uh, disclosed it. So therefore in like, uh, legally, this hair belongs to Alexander McQueen, therefore provides a source of genetic material that can, uh, from which you can extract those genes. Because thinking like, and that's the practicality of it, it, because usually it is quite hard to validify if this hair lock is really from a specific person or if uh, some tissue cells are from a specific fer- person. So that really kind of like elevated, I think, the project by really making sure that it comes from a validified source.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> is it really <laughs> possible in the real world? Because oh, we, I feel like we are in a movie right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. It's all obviously the full, um, Extent of like all of the procedures that are needed have never been uh, assembled together in a way that it will produce a product. But mm-hmm. theoretically, if we join all, uh, already existing techniques, the product would be with us quite quickly. Uh, mm-hmm the only thing it's obviously you need to have the room for error which means that theoretically it might work in a sense but then when you apply some of the techniques together it might take longer to develop like a fully blown arm project like that
0: and do you think that a world where people are wearing human leather is possible
1: that's an interesting question i <laughs> think uh it's it's a complex one because We human leather, it's different from animal leather, just from not obviously not biologically as much. It Mm -hmm. is just because of the taboos that are related to the leather itself. And there are so many different, like those taboos are so different that it's quite hard to just like to answer the question in one way because obviously you have the religious taboo, then you have the medical one, then you have like obviously the, just like you, Kind of allowing someone else to own something from you when when you're like dead anymore. So it's inheritance. There is a lot of that. So those all of those different um, cases, how you can actually protect leather or kind of be against utilizing your leather, make up a world where it is quite hard to see that everyone will just purely agree to wear it in the future.
0: Yeah, and I. Uh, so tell me if I'm wrong. I heard that the skin that looks the most like human, that will be the closest, is uh, pig skin. Yeah. Yes. yes. So, yes. That, so I have a question. If we use the exact same uh, tanning process that uh, the leather industry use for pigs, and, and we do a, a specific uh, color, uh, is it possible just by looking at it to see the difference between a pig leather and a human leather?
1: It should be possible just because um, with all of the, like obviously with all of the moisturizers and skincare that we have taken over the years, human leather is actually very, very fragile. And that makes a bit of distinction in the tanning process. So the more fragile the leather is, the more damage you do with the tanning process because it's essentially either heat or aggressive chemicals that try to lock um, the cells. It, and basically killed off all of the cells in order to make sure that le- the leather lasts, right? Hmm. Prevent the leather from degrading later. That, therefore, if you are utilizing human skin, we are assuming nowadays that it will be, it will, it, it's gonna get harder and harder to tan because the skin is so much fragile.
0: Hmm. I just want to uh, disclose something. I'm against any type of form of leather. <laughs> I <laughs> think that uh, that uh, skin from an animal or human belongs to the animal or the human. Yeah. Uh, it's just that I'm, I love having this conversation because I feel it's uh, it's great to help people to connect. Because um, you probably will agree with me because you do a lot of debate and conversation. I feel that people forget what fashion really is. And uh, fashion is an external expression of yourself. And um, people should... Uh, talk about this with no fear and uh, and and embrace what they wear. So if they don't feel comfortable with it, they shouldn't wear it. So that's why I'm, I'm trying to have this conversation actually. And that's why I'm very, uh, uh, like, it's easy for me to talk about this without feeling disturbed or anything, because I feel a little far from, from uh, this. But, uh, yeah, I'm really uh, enjoying this conversation, so thank you so much again for being here. (laughs) uh, So, do you think that it is more ethical, that human leather will be more ethical than animal leather?
1: To a degree, yes, if you get agreement from a person that you are making the leather from. I think, for me, again, where the distinction is and where I do agree with you, it's actually it is really hard to get, <laughs> I mean, it's impossible almost because we don't speak the language to get an agreement yes. to use your skin from an animal. And even though like it's it's completely something that we can't even consider because obviously we have such a different nervous system, such a different way of like understanding the world. With humans, it's a bit easier because obviously we can communicate that. And if a person expresses, um, that they are willing to actually use their like use their body or uh, let other people to use material from their body to do so, then for me it's completely ethical.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. The same way some people keep ashes from uh, their grandparents, they can yeah. keep a piece of leather from them. Uh, exactly. and I we- would do it, but I, I, I would. I understand the comparison.
1: <laughs> yeah, and essentially, because I, I always think we, now especially, when sustainability has become like such a big topic, Uh, we could also look at like we are also looking at other ways of like waste that we are creating right but we forget to look on our bodies we forgot to look at the animal bodies as well we are only kind of like really focusing on something that goes beyond that but to a degree you could also argue a sustainable argument out of that
0: Mm. yeah and so you had a lot of uh, exposition in in um like everywhere, and uh, you had a huge press release. I see uh, on your website that you were mentioned in a lot of different press. Did you have any trouble with the fact that you used the DNA of Alexander McQueen? Or oh, you could have used it and you had no problem with <laughs> I that? I mean,
1: I think from the ethical standpoint, yes. In, in the sense of there was no direct legal consequences of that because that was also one of the parts that were really like the, that i try to emphasize in the project which is the legality of it it's a huge issue obviously we don't ha- we don't have laws that will protect us from uh, genetic exploitation yet because obviously the technology is so new therefore kind of like usually laws and ethics uh, w- when they try to really keep up with the techn- the evolution of technology they still need a couple of years And that was really in that buffer time the project really occurred in the uh, in the in that buffer time where law didn't yet keep up with the advancement of technologies so therefore from the legal standpoint of course it was legal from the ethical standpoint of course (laughs) there was mixed opinions i would say so therefore I would say the majority of it wasn't directly related to to the fact that it was Alexander McQueen once. Mm -hmm. It was general that it was human leather. There were some people that were really either really interested in the fact that it was Alexander McQueen or either really against the fact that it was specifically that DNA that the project was talking about. But Mm -hmm. yeah, as I said, the majority was more about like the conversation steered more towards like actually utilizing human leather.
0: So tomorrow I walk in the street. I stole a piece of hair of someone, and I can freely exploit the DNA with no problem.
1: I mean, yeah, it's quite a complex process. It still <laughs> sounds like really <laughs> easy, <laughs> but to yes, in I would say theoretically yes. Hmm. Um, you could also get quite a lot of details out of that. There are a couple of projects that actually really explore how many uh, features you can expose by just extracting DNA, either for a chunk of hair or saliva or some, or other like type of genetic material that you can kind of extract. So, yes.
0: <laughs> now I'm thinking of something. I, I did uh, the DNA test that tell me all my background should yeah. I be worried right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully you sign a really good ethical agreement for <laughs> <Okay. it. laughs>
0: and um so does the, the people who came to your exhibition understood why what the goal, or they were just disturbing, like oh no, human letter, you know, or now they they uh, appreciate they knew how to appreciate it and to understand the debate behind it?
1: So there was a really mixed reactions, which was quite interesting. Some of the reactions I didn't even predict, which was even more interesting for me because a lot of people actually came it as you said like directly understanding what the point of the project was but some people came with like alternative ideas about the project we discussed like what what veganism means in the future when you actually can engineer let's say animal leather and you are not actually hurting an animal so at that point is that uh, that leather uh, vegan or how do you perceive it and there were some other points that were really kind of interested there was also a big pool of people that um I would say, didn't necessarily understand what the project was. And it was partially, obviously, because of the novelty of the technology. But it was also partially how the project was sometimes portrayed in the media. Because obviously, we know we live in an era when media needs to generate a lot of attention. Therefore, a lot of the, I would say, details were uh, omitted in order to create more shocking headlines.
0: So I have some questions because, of course, my goal now will be to compare this uh, with uh, what I'm fighting for. You know, I'm always trying to elevate vegan fashion. And um, so, OK, so there is this huge issue in leather industry, which is transparency. There's, I think it's the industry who have the bigger lack of transparency. It's the leather industry. Um, I talk with many different um, uh, people working in the tanning industry. Uh, I don't know how we call them in English, the tanning people, (laughs) and uh, they often told me that every tanning industry has their own recipe. Uh, Some use around 50 chemicals, some use around 250 chemicals, and they do their mix, whatever they want. So there's no way to know uh, how your leather is, like how bad the the chemicals they were using are. And uh, also another. Problem that I found is that uh, most of leather, especially when it's cheap, is labeled as genuine leather, and uh, there was this uh, huge issue uh, in China because uh, in China, you know, they are they eat uh, there's some place where they eat dogs, and uh, there was an undercover investigation from Peter that shows a dogs' lower house. They were killing around 100 to 200 dogs just in this specific slaughterhouse. And they were creating leather out of those dogs and Mm. shipping it to countries like, I mean, in US, in Europe, where it's not legal, but they were labeled as lamb leather or genuine leather. Mm. So how can we identify those? And uh, that's why I was asking you if human leather can, if it's standing in the same process, can it look the same way? So is it possible that when you buy leather, it can be dog leather, it can be human, it can be any animals and there's no way to know?
1: So, yeah, I would say there are general characteristics, but yeah, under the same umbrella, so the thickness is quite similar and the composition of the leather is quite similar, you would have a really hard time like with your naked eye to define Mm -hmm. what type of leather it is with like, Animals, I would say, that have a hive, so they have hair. There is grain lines, which you yeah. can kind of, kind of understand which animals it is from the fact of how the grain light falls. But af- after a lot of treatment, especially if there is like really heavy coloring and really heavily coated, mm-hmm. I would say... It's quite hard, yeah, with the naked eyes. Even like professionals will probably be more um, wary of how to define it. But if you are a custom, like a general customer that buys leather once in a while, yeah, you would definitely not tell the difference between them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why they were not shipping the skin, but they were shipping uh, the product already made. So they were making, yeah. for example, gloves, because gloves, you know, you use a lot of small parts. So there was no, I felt like there was no way to identify if it's from a lamb or a dog or even human. After watching your, your exhibition, I was like, so maybe even human, there's no way to know. So, of course, I'm 99% sure there's no human leather in the market. But the fact that there's no way to know, that's mm-hmm. what disturbed me.
1: Yeah. And I would say also a lot of people that actually buy leather are not versed to actually distinguish it. And it's totally normal because obviously you can't specialize in every field of your life when you're buying things, right? Hmm. Maybe one way of doing it, and I remember you sent me that article and it was also one of the things I, it was a small part of Pure Human where we explored how to validify the source. Hmm. And it was all about like genetic material and how you can test genetic material on the leather itself, in order to uh, obviously uh, see what type of um, uh, r- 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 raw resources does it come from, so what type of animal, but also mine tried to get a step further when it was actually identifying the person. You could only do that by obviously comparing. So you have to have DNA at hand and then compare it to the DNA of the item and be sure that like it matches as much as like above 90%, if not even more. Mm. With the animal one, probably the percentage could be slightly lower, but uh, you would still be able to identify it. Here, we have a lot of problems to do so. And obviously we can get past them whilst the technology is more developed. Mm. However, one of the big one is cost. This costs greatly, and especially because DNA tests it is lowering in price, but if you want to do really precise DNA tests, they are still very, very expensive, and they need to be conducted as part of an investigation, like Pita did.
0: Yeah, That's actually, the... I I did a small investigation in my level. You know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I contacted many different people. I contacted uh, I forgot his name, but it's someone who worked in a university who who restructured DNA, and he okay. explained to me that the problem with tanning leather, especially those leather, because they use like horrible chemicals. They, they, yeah. they like they are the, the one that don't care the most. And he explained to me that most of the time the DNA is completely destroyed. So we have to restructure it and it costs a lot of money. And when you know that if, let's say tomorrow, a specific brand, a fast fashion brand use uh, dog leather and we can prove it, um, their fine is like ten thousand dollar, which represent nothing for them. <laughs> and yeah, and I feel like the laboratory test will probably cost more than the fine they will pay. So yeah, I yeah. just want to that, that that's why it's one of my goal to have you here to let people know that. And uh, at the end of the day, I feel like. I'm not 100% agree with with like I, I I'm not for human leather. I'm not promoting human leather not at all. But I just think that human leather might be more sustainable than animal leather, because like you say, we can uh, choose there's the ethical path. A human can say, um, "When I'm when I'm gonna die, I don't I I agree for you to use my skin," and uh, there is the DNA that uh, can prove which. Uh, animal is it which human animal is it so yeah i I I mean
1: (laughs) yeah i think it it will go still to the same process again of tanning right so depending how hard the tanning is it depends how much of the dna is actually destroyed now there is a really interesting question even when you try to reassemble um the dna you are actually, depending how damaged it is, you can also draw on a lot of assumptions because mm. for instance, it, it is almost like trying to fit a puzzle, right? When you destroy two to re- really small chunks, then you assume that the end puzzle looks like that and you try to align it accordingly. But with that, you're making the assumption that this is actually this species. So that's, that's the problem with kind of like restructuring it because one of my projects also looked at the extinct leather which is actually animals that don't exist anymore. And if we would to create uh, ge- um, genetic material that would look, resemble how those like the the surface of those animals from the past, and here we run into the same big problem, right? Because we actually have to identify, the, the most similar specimen that is still alive to those animals, and then structure the DNA accordingly. But again, because we don't know the original DNA, we are again drawing on a lot of assumptions.
0: And what about a world without leather?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a difficult one. I think I also wouldn't want to see the world without uh, leather. I would want to see a world where animals are ethically treated, and then leather is produced based on that. Mm. Because obviously with the word without leather, you would also lose a lot of the crafts that go into it. And you would also use a valuable resource when it is actually becomes waste, right? Because yes, there are some ethical implication of using uh, animal leather, but why can't it be dead animal leather? Why can't you use something that is actually waste if we want to put it like that? and essentially exploit that resource like we did from generation to generation. I think my problem nowadays is A, the transparency, but B, also the scale of it. Why does everything has to be on such a large scale, which implies such a big, uh, you know, big um, slaughterhouses, therefore big farms and therefore animal kept in conditions that shouldn't be kept essentially.
0: Yeah. And even just talking about the byproduct that uh, I often argue with people that it is more a co-product because it become a brand new product because the skin is a byproduct, but all the chemical we use are different product, making it a brand new product. And um, yeah, maybe the the problem will be as well uh, the tanning process that used to take like two months, maybe, or even sometimes more to have a piece of leather. And now it takes, I think, one day, one or two days to have leather because of all the chemicals they use. So maybe uh, one of the main problem can be here as well. There is actually a study, um, I don't know if you saw it from Global Fashion Agenda called The Pulse of the Fashion Industry, that proves that the production of plastic, which is horrible, uh, is actually not as bad as leather. Like leather is like three times worse the production of leather than the production of plastic yeah
1: yeah i think yeah i agree i mean it depends from which angle you're looking at it and what you're assessing in terms of unsustainable behavior but i yeah i generally do agree first of all it uses so much water if we're talking about chrome tanning leather like common chrome tanning leather obviously mm-hmm. there are other alternatives so you have the vegetable tanning leather which again on a larger scale it pro- it can be problematic as well Mm. There are some re- uh, really innovative processes that are being adopted are of from like big tanneries around the globe when they use way less water. But again, if you're using aggressive chemicals, it's quite similar. I think I would rather compare it to maybe the dye, the fashion dyeing dye industry, which mm. again. Use a huge quantity of water, is a huge quantity of chemicals, and then how they dispose of them, it's again a problem. If you're disposing it in a local river, then mm-hmm. of course we, we know how unsustainable that is.
0: Exactly. So yeah, it's it's crazy how this project, when we start to dig deeper, how far it can go, and I'm sure we could keep talking about all these issues for like hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just have maybe one last question. With is which is, um, why did you choose human leather and why you didn't use animal leather for this project? (laughs) (laughs) I think
1: that was quite like, I have quite a straightforward answer to that because with animal leather, we find it just generally find more acceptable, which means that even though like the project was seen as such, so it was seen as a more sustainable or ethical alternative to uh, to, uh, to animal leather in general, The aim was to highlight the problems we have with in our legal system, as well as like how how we are pushing forward our ethical boundaries without notice. So by just purely adapting animal leather, a lot of those debates will be missed with bringing it back to human leather, which is something that even though if you're not in the leather debate, you can connect to like your skin, right? So to something tangible that you can see every day, Therefore, you're more inclined to engage in such a debate and you're more inclined to have your own opinions about it.
0: Mm. Yes, again, thank you for creating this, because I used uh, this exhibition a lot when I talk about leather and I help people to reconnect with the animal. Uh, I I find that talking about this, uh, it's always disturbing for them at the beginning. And then when they understand that the goal is not to sell those products, but to create conversation, then they start realizing, wait, would I wear my own skin or the skin of uh, someone I know? You know, And they realize that that disturbed them and, and they might get a little away from uh, uh, mm. animal leather, even though I know it was not the main goal. <laughs>
1: yeah, and- but I, I think, and that was actually quite a, 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 one of the reactions that I experienced on my own, which was actually quite surprising. I remember when the product was released. The initial, I would say two weeks, there is a lot of backlash, of course, because of the provoking nature of the project. But then quite quickly after two weeks, the general, um, I would say, tone of how people approach me and how they view the project really stripped, like completely changed. And it was also at the, at the time where I think PETA kind of like addressed the project as well and started to talking about a more ethical alternative. And yeah, it was quite quick. Interesting to see that shift, which you just experienced when you uh, when you kind of like talk about this project.
0: Hmm. So again, thank you so much for doing this. Also, I was asking you if you were vegan because I saw the another project you did. I think you have an exhibition uh, going on. I think it's tomorrow. I saw yeah. a post on Instagram. Uh, can you tell a little more about this?
1: Yeah. So uh, here, I I kind of explored the ethics and the va- value how we kind of perceive value in alternatives, in animal alternatives, because there, there are a lot of animal, um, alternatives to animal products out there, to so animal materials. Hmm. The problem is that A, either they're not fully developed or B, we don't really perceive them as valuable as let's say the original one. Hmm. So in this project, I try to address that and try to see how much can we actually inflate the value of alternatives in order to hinder an unethical behavior. So here I created an alternative to the rhino horse, horn, mm. which is one of the material that is mostly exploited and one of the, I would say, most expensive materials that you can extract from an animal. Yeah, which and which is that,
0: purely unethical because- they...
1: Exactly, because it, it is also like from the waste standpoint, it is horrible because obviously the, the entire rhino is poached just because of the uh, horn itself. And, yeah, and basically try to reproduce the exact same materials, but using just natural ingredients that you can source from, I would say, local drugstores. And that really kind of like brought it home to me that something can be so valuable that actually can also can be engineered quite quickly at home. And it's just because of the perceived value of the material Mm -hmm. itself.
0: Yeah, I saw the video on YouTube where you just use hair and um, I don't know what is the powder the salt uh, yeah
1: so it's a mixture yeah there is like silk protein and there is like a a, a, a gelling agent that you use yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so i everybody should go check this and uh, even on your instagram tina goryank uh (laughs) you can see uh the the picture of the bone it's it's amazing (laughs) so thank (laughs) you for everything you do uh what will be the the next project if we want to follow your work where where should we check?
1: <laughs> so it's probably best, yeah, on my Instagram, hopefully updated soon. Again, it's probably gonna be something more related to leather. And yeah, looking nice. at alternatives again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can wait to see it. So for people Tina go yank G, uh, G-O-R-J-A-N-C. That's yeah. why I say go jank or go yank. <laughs> <laughs> So again, thank you so much. Uh, It was a great conversation. Um, And um, yeah, see you next time.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. (laughs)